listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Rexel, what a pass to Anders. A king follows. Branch fires, he converts. Rhymes again. Pull up three in transition for Angela Harris. Jerome says not tonight, not in Houston. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Slamma Jamma presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Andy Yanez and you can find me on Twitter at ayanez underscore five. I've spent the last two seasons covering the University of Houston Athletics for the Daily Cougar, the U of H's student newspaper. Doing my thing here at Apollo Media, currently a reporter for Community Impact newspaper. And I'm pleased to be joined by my second host, Dayan, take it away. It was good. Dayan Dunlap, also part of Apollo Media. Past year, I was a color commentator for the UH women's basketball game. All their home games broadcast on ESPN+. Plus. Been doing some play-by-play for Texan Live for about three or four years. You can find me on Twitter at Dayan Dunlap. That's at D-A-Y-O-N-D-U-N-L-A-P. But before you do that, be sure to follow official Apollo media account, Apollo H-O-U, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll greatly appreciate it. And Dayon, we got a jam-packed show for this. Dayon, you were not with us last year, but this is actually going to be about our one-year anniversary. Potsdamer Jamma officially turns one year old on Friday, August 6th. That'll be one year since we debuted our original episode back with Justin Barbosa and Tamer Knight. Uh, we've come a long way, and it's been an interesting journey. Uh, for just talking to me personally, I, I've gotten, I've learned a couple of things carrying this podcast, and now we, we've kind of scattered Tamers over NBC. She's a part of one of the studio shows, so we've grown. This is interesting. So it's a cool, cool one year anniversary episode, and it's fitting that it's jam packed with. Three big topics, of course, today, Wednesday, August 4th, that we were recording was the American Athletic Conference Football Media Day. And Dayon, once again, I'd like to thank you for covering that on behalf of Apollo Media. And we have a clip-heavy show just regarding Dana Holgerson and uh, Calvin Sampson, who had his media availability last Friday, talking about Quentin Grimes, Dejan Giroux. Obviously, of course, Quentin Grimes was drafted in the NBA draft last Thursday, and Dejan Giroux was signed with the Miami Heat um, as a part of their summer league roster. So we'll get right into it. Dayon, what were your takeaways from AAC? Or let me say that again. AAC Football Media Day that you tuned in here today. Well, just starting with Houston, I was really surprised with the candidness from um, Coach Dana Hogerson. He was really honest about some of the pressure that he and the team is facing or to really to have a good season, and they're embracing it. They look forward to it. And so I was really surprised with that. Um, I was also good to hear Clayton Toons um, speak, man. He sounds very confident in year three with Dana Hogerson in that system. So 
I'm looking forward to a good season with him. Marcus Jones spoke highly as well. He's been getting a lot of notoriety after his stellar season last year in the prompt returner and the cornerback. So I'm looking forward to the football season. Right, for sure. And we have a couple of clips from Dana Horst. And before we get to that, you were there for Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, speaking, of course, about the hot topic this summer, uh, college realignment in the NCAA. And interesting, we talked about a little bit off air, but to me, at least on the surface, I was surprised by the comments he said. He said the American Athletic Conference is currently not looking to expand, but he didn't rule it out. Yeah, and I, I think he said the politically correct thing. I think um, they aren't looking to expand because he talked about how teams in the American Conference have been able to compete with other teams in the quote-unquote Power Five conferences. So I think he's confident with the teams that are in. But we know if it makes dollars, it makes sense. So the money comes, other teams look to come in. I think he will, of course, look to join or have other teams join the conference. But I think he was spot on with his comments. I think they were true. But I think, of course, if other big teams look to join, if the Big 12 ends up um, dissolving and other teams like maybe Baylor or TCU or Tech or Six Tech or other teams look to come back, come in to the American, I think he'll greatly appreciate it and welcome them. Yeah, interesting comments he denied. Uh, colluding with ESPN anyway to try to steal any of the teams from the Big 12. He also said that the American Athletic Conference at the moment is not looking to expand. But the little caveat, he said, if he were to get contacted by any teams and it makes sense, of course, they wouldn't turn anything down. So leaving that door open, like you said, uh, kind of giving the politically correct answer, especially in a time of uncertainty, uh, not just with the Big 12, but even other Power 5 conferences that outside of the SEC may be looking to expand and not just from Big 12, but even take away teams possibly from the American Athletic Conference itself to try to grow during this such really uh, volatile time in college, the college landscape across different conferences. Now, going back to Houston specifically, Dana Hogerson spoke about his team, and I want to play a clip of him speaking about the importance that the 2021 season will be for his squad. He will be entering his third season as a head coach of the University of Houston football team how this 2021 season was really important just for the football program at Houston to do its part in terms of all the other athletic success um, that the university universities experience. <clears throat> Have you felt that sense of urgency from your guys in the locker room that, you know, this is the year we need to really take that step forward? I know you've talked about the vibes a little um, but just like, have you felt that sense of urgency from the team? Yeah. Yeah. I really have felt that. I think our, our team is, is older and more mature uh, I believe this is the oldest team that, that I've had, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of experience, but, but guys just are older in the, in the, they've been here, they've been through it with me for the last three years. Uh, you know, last year was a big year and people said last year didn't count. Well, I guarantee you last year did count. Uh, the record is what the record is. Uh, but we did make progress in year two and I do believe that we're going to make progress in year three, but uh, having older guys, you know, like two of the guys that were coming up here right now in Clayton Tune and, and Marcus Jones, guys were older, they're mature, they've played a lot. Uh, they're good players, and and I, I believe they feel, you know, uh, a, a sense of urgency to get out there and, and, and win some ball games in 2021. That was, once again, head coach Dana Hogerson of the University of Houston football team speaking about the importance of the 2021 season. 
By the way, shout out to James Mueller of the Daily Cougar asking the question. Uh, always got to rep the Daily Cougar. But digressing back, a couple of things that, that stood out to me what Dana Horgerson said. One, he didn't kind of give an excuse regarding, obviously, the 2020 season that for U of H, it was plagued with uh, stoppages. I mean, the first month of the season, they could not play a game in September just because, and this wasn't even on U of H, it was because other teams had COVID right. issues. And they had to postpone games. Obviously, the one that comes to mind, the most prominent was the one against Baylor, where it was less than 24 hours before the kickoff was set to happen, and Baylor canceled. The U of H truck was already there in terms for all their production. That's how it's stated. Yep. Um, so, obviously, that was the big one. But I'm surprised. Dana Hogerson kind of said, no, nope, th- that season counts. The record was what it was, and we're looking to improve. Dayon, what are your thoughts on that comment? Yeah, that's like I said, I, w- I w- was kind of surprised like you, but I appreciate his candidness because you do count those wins and losses. The way the team performed in some games last season, it counts. And so I'm just looking forward to him to getting better. Year three, like he said, the sense of, ur- the sense of urgency is on, not only with him, but with the players as well. And so it's just about getting better and better. And, and I had the chance to ask him what was that next step that the team needed to take. And he just really kept it simple. He said it's just stacking up wins. And wins really is the next thing for the football team, really just to continue on trajectory with other programs like the basketball, where there's women's and men's. And so I really appreciate the candidness, and I really look forward to year three for Coach Jamie Hargis. Right. And this third season could honestly, it's such a pivotal season, not just regarding Dana Hogerson's tenure, but honestly for the University of Houston program that at this point, and when you look across the college world, the college landscape regarding conferences if Houston, and obviously we're going back to the American Athletic Conference, it looks like they're really stable right now. But if Houston wants to attract potentially Pac-12, uh, they have to prove that they have a product on the field on the football field, let's be honest. I mean, the men's basketball team will be able to compete with whatever conference they're in. The football field, the football gridiron is what dictates dictates um, how successful university athletic departments are. And right. we've based it off the schedule where, I mean, honestly, their pick, the American Athletic Conference preseason poll picked U of H to finish fourth. And looking yeah. at their schedule – First, the non-conference schedule, the toughest opponent will be the first game of the season against Texas Tech at NRG Stadium. They play Rice. They play FCS school, uh, Grambling, and they also play UConn towards the end of the season. That's a non-conference schedule. It's not difficult. And then you look at the conference schedule, they're not going to play the Cincinnati's of the world. Obviously, Cincinnati coming off that strong season. This should be a year where... Honestly, eight wins at minimum should be the goal. And honestly, they should possibly, they should finish with more wins. Um, and I remember the comment by Renu Couture a few seasons ago when they let go of head coach Major Applewhite, that they'll fire head coaches for, they finish with eight wins. And since Dana Hogerson has been here in the past two seasons, he hasn't been able to win eight games total. He's only won seven. He won four his first season. Three last year, obviously, the circumstances with COVID and them only playing eight games total but it's a it's a big year for Dana Hoverson and another person that it will be a big year for is quarterback Clayton Toon here is Dana Hoverson speaking on the quarterback of the university right well before we before we get to that I want to comment on the schedule I I think it's it's favorable like you said 
with Texas Tech being um, the toughest non-conference opponent, and like you said, there's no Cincinnati on the schedule. There's no UCF on the schedule. And so it's a favorable schedule. I think if they don't exceed double-digit wins, 10 wins in the season, in my opinion, would be a failure because, I mean, you got Rice, you got Navy, who's always a tough game with their triple option, but you got Tulsa and Tulane. A lot of these games, I, I think they should go in there very confident. I don't know if they'll be favorites to depend on the start that they have, but I know they definitely go in feeling confident that they can beat any team that they face on the schedule. So I, I think, in my opinion, 10 wins should be the 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 reaching point as far as a good or bad season with the schedule that they have. Right. And honestly, on the surface, you know, 10 wins might seem, whoa, double-digit uh, win season. But looking at the schedule, like I mentioned, they don't play Cincinnati in conference. They don't even have to play UCF, who they've struggled with the last few seasons. And right. the, the two teams that, that could be tough games would be Memphis and SMU. But even then, they're coming off uh, losing their starting quarterbacks for the past two seasons. So they're kind sure. of in an interesting new mode. This could easily be uh, a, a bounce-back year for Dana Hogerson and the entire University of Houston program. But like I was going to say, here is head coach Dana Hogerson speaking on his quarterback, Clayton Toon. Yeah, year three for a quarterback is usually when they turn the corner, my experience with that. So, uh, you know, Clayton's got a lot of snaps under his belt. He's got, you know, a lot of reps logged in practice and in games now. So, uh, you know, that that should pay off, you know, uh, just the the way that I call plays and the, the how, how familiar he is with how, how things are getting signaled to him and, and what our expectations are. I'm not doing a very good job coaching if he's not better year three. So, you know, I think we're on track. Um, you know, he had a great he had a great spring and uh, the rapport he has with uh, with the receivers is, is, is much better. Uh, we have to be better in front of him for him to be better. Our, our, you know, I've, I've stated that for for two straight years now. Uh, we've had, I think, 20 different offensive line combinations in 20 games. You know, so we finally got to a point where we got depth. We got experience. Uh, those guys got to be consistent. Those guys got to got to gel, and those guys got to got to do their job. And and it, it's hard for a quarterback to do that when he knows guys in front of him are a little deficient. We've we've been deficient in front uh, for the first couple of years, but uh, <clears throat> Brandon Jones has made uh, a lot of progress, and we have a lot of bodies that it, you know it, one they need to remain healthy, two they need to improve, three they need to compete for for playing time and. When we do have unfortunate injuries happen, we can plug people in that have experience and not put people in there that aren't ready to play. So that plays a big part in how that quarterback plays. That was head coach Dana Horson speaking on his quarterback, Clayton Toon. Dayon, once again, the first thing that stood out to me, Dana Horson kind of stepping up and, and right, saying right off the bat, if Clayton Toon doesn't improve, it's on him as a head coach yep. to not yep. help him. You know, I'm hearing Dana Hogerson talk, and honestly, I mean, I'm surprised just by how up and center he is. He's he's I, I think he realizes how big this upcoming season is going to be. But what I love is he's he's not backing away from the challenge. He's taking it right up front. Yeah. And he's saying, look, he's seen the results the past two seasons. This is the year where they should see progress. Your thoughts? I love it. I love it. And that's part of the show signs of a good coach. I mean, 
coaches talk a lot about players holding themselves accountable. Coaches have to do the same thing. And with that sound bite, that's what he's doing. He's holding himself accountable because he's looked at as an offensive mind, someone who coaches up quarterbacks and receivers and just a really good offensive um, play caller. And so I love it, man. Just holding himself accountable, holding that thing that boils down to your team, to the head. Your head coach is holding himself to a high standard. Like, hey, I need to do a better job of coach. If I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. And I, I think it trickles down to the assistant coaches and then down to the players. I think when they look in the mirror, they can watch film. They need, they hold themselves accountable as well. So I love what he said. And in year three, Clayton Toon, and I think it's about Clayton Toon staying healthy. If he can stay healthy, I think he he's a really, really good quarterback, a dual threat quarterback. It's also about his decision-making as well. Make good decisions. He's going to have a good skill position on the outside. Tank Dell, I think he's going to have a really good year. But he said it starts up front. I think with any football team, you talk to any coaches, they're going to say it starts up front, whether it's from the offensive line or the defensive line. And so if they can protect him, give him a good running game, you got a mobile car coming back. You still got Chandler in the backfield as well with the take to take transfer as well, Tayshawn Henry. So it's all up front, like he said, but I love how he's holding himself accountable. Yeah. And another thing, third year for Clayton Tune in Hogerson's offense. Um, that's big. I remember the starting last season, Hogerson said kind of a similar than usually quarterbacks entering in the second year of his offense have a big jump. And honestly, I never felt that way in t- I take that back because there were there were times there were flashes and that, that's the thing with Clayton Toon. There have always been flashes where yeah. I mean the first half last season, uh I believe it was the second game of the season against BYU and Zach Wilson, a primetime game at TDCU Stadium, Friday night lights. It was a big time game and first half Clayton Toon probably played the best he has his entire time here at U of H. Um he, he was going throw for throw. Actually he was he was probably uh, outworking Zach Wilson in that first half. And then in the second, it was a completely different story. U of H often struggled to score and BYU just left them in the dust and it ended up being a 17 point win for BYU. I think that's where Clayton Toon has to prove and show the most improvement that it, consistency. That's the key for yeah, Clayton Toon. Yeah. And yep, staying consistent. You know, there are times where he, he gets his gaudy numbers. He can get the yards. Um, he can he's even a, like you mentioned, he's a threat with his legs as well. But sometimes, you know, whether it's throwing untimely interceptions or fumbling the ball, that's costly. And if he can just limit those turnovers and play more consistency, uh, avoid those droughts. And this is regarding the offense as a whole, like Coverson mentioned, a big part of it is with the offensive line where Clayton Toon, after a couple of seconds, he's looking to scramble because he feels like he doesn't have the necessary time when the first, second options aren't there. So he has to buy time. Real quickly, we will not have a chance to, to get to the final bite, but I wanted to touch on what Dana Hogerson said. He said he was in favor of the American Athletic Conference's policy. They will not reschedule any games due to COVID. And obviously, like we mentioned last season, U of H was probably one of the the most team in college football, certainly top three regarding how they were affected by COVID. Dayon, your thoughts on what Hogerson said about that. He agreed with that policy. He feels like, you know, teams should, if because of unvaccinated players have outbreaks, they should forfeit the game and then move on with it. Similar to if you can't have the necessary players to play, I mean, you should get penalized for it. 
Yeah, and he, he talked about the, the, what happened and what they experienced last season. And so I, I agree with it. Hey, if you can't play for whatever the reason may be, then you forfeit it and you move on and play for the next game. There's no need to try to reschedule, do all the things that it was um, last year. And so, I mean, I agree. All the coaches are in favor from what Coach David Hobson said. And so I think, that's a, I think that's a good rule for the American. Other conferences have adopted that rule as well. And so I think it's good. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah, I agree. And, and going back to our last episode, uh, available in the archive, we had University of Houston women's basketball head coach Ron Huey. And he kind of said the same thing where, I mean, it's we it's been over a year. It's about to be a year and a half. Um, people know what needs to be done regarding COVID. And especially with vaccines available, they're trying to encourage as many people as possible to get vaccinated. I think Huey said that his team was, uh, I think he said, about 95%. He said there were probably one or two players or, or people on the team regarding in general that had not get vaccinated yet. Um, Dana Hogerson said the last time he checked his team was around 70, but he wasn't sure. I think, you know, like you mentioned, it, it's been the time has passed. People have an idea of what's with the virus and stuff like that. And like Dana Hogerson said, canceling games, especially for outbreaks when there is a vaccine available, I mean, it's kind of more responsibility for the players. Now, of course, they don't want to force anyone to do it, but it's going back to the NFL, the competitive, you're putting your team at a competitive disadvantage if you can't, if you don't get vaccinated, which. Yeah, I it's, mean, it's a roundabout, say, but it's a yeah, roundabout yeah. way of saying we're not going to force you to get vaccinated, but basically this is how we're going to tell you to get vaccinated without actually telling you to get vaccinated. Um, yeah, that's a. That's a slippery slope right there because we, we've I've heard and we've seen reports of people who have been vaccinated twice and they still get the virus after the vaccination. So the vaccination, from what I've seen and from reports, it doesn't guarantee you from not getting or catching the virus. So it's a slippery slope, man. Definitely just do what you feel is best for you. Right. And it, it's such an uncertain time where even something like this is so it's such a touchy subject but you know i get with the league and you know you look a lot of these corporations when you look at the nfl and even here locally in houston with the the hospitals across the area just saying you know vaccinations aren't 100 percent going to stop covid but in theory it should stop any major outbreaks from happening and that's what the american athletic conference is aiming to do with this policy but that's going to do it for this first segment um pretty hefty on football content and we will coming up for our second and third segments we'll switch our gears to men's basketball last friday university of houston head coach for the men's basketball team kelvin sampson spoke with reporters after quentin grimes day on you called this you felt the entire time that quentin would be a first round pick he went 25th overall to the new york knicks uh well, I guess technically the Clippers before getting traded to the New York Knicks. We'll discuss, we'll play more sound bites of Kelvin Sampson talking about Quentin Grimes. And later on in the show, we'll also play sound bites of Kelvin Sampson talking about Dejan Giroux, who signed with the Miami Heat for their summer league team. Coming right up on Pod's Time Jamma, your home for University of Houston Athletics. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. Welcome back in the Boss Slam Majama. 
it was good to have some football season, have some football talk. But now we're talking hoops, man. The draft just passed it. And you're right. I predicted that Quentin Grimes would go in the first round. I felt like he had that talent and the stock would rise, and it did. And, and we were able to catch up with head coach Kelvin Sampson. He talked about Quentin Grimes' journey and him being coach Tom Thibodeau's guy for the New York Knicks. I was just, you know, Quentin's story is, is worth telling because I think adversity and failure and battling through something hard, uh, as long as you don't become a victim, it has the chance to be the best thing ever happened to you. Um, and Quentin and I talked about that so many times. You know, two summers ago, we went to Italy and Quentin went with us. You know, we have two summer sessions in June and July. He wasn't here for the June session because he didn't choose, he didn't make his choice known that he was coming to Houston, I think until after first session started. So I told him, you know, uh, get here, enroll in second summer session, get to know your teammates. We're gonna be practicing to get ready to go to Italy. Uh, even though we don't know whether you're gonna be eligible or not, you're still gonna play because those games will not affect your eligibility. Um, and so I, I think about those days when when uh, he didn't know whether he's pitching or catching. I mean, literally, there were some tough days that he was going through because he had some emotional things, I think psych psychological uh, things um, that he was having to deal with. Because um, Quentin don't like letting people down. You know, he, you know, he's a he's he's a doer. He's a high achiever, and um, if he feels he let you down, I think because he's such a great kid and such a high character kid, uh, it bothers him. So we had to work through a lot of that stuff. And, and then you go, go from there to uh, when we beat Cincinnati and he was the uh, MVP of the tournament. He's got the net hanging around him and he's got the most authentic smile. I, I thought back to that Cincinnati game and I said, look at that kid. Look at that smile. Look how happy he is. Come on, man. That's what coaching is all about. You know, regardless of what people say or think about you, you know, um, seeing the joy in his mother and father last night and knowing his journey and knowing that it was a hard journey, not an easy journey, I, I think made last night more special, uh, more special for me um, because, um, you know, we invested so much in each other. Our staff invested so much uh, in Quentin, but you know, Quentin invested in us too. He bought, he bought in. That was University of Houston men's basketball head coach Calvin Sampson speaking on Quentin Grimes a day on a couple of things. That ending to the soundbite where Calvin says, you know, Quentin Grimes needed the University of Houston, but U of H needed him as well. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think that. That's just the way Kelvin Sampson is. You know, when you talk about Quentin Grimes and when he left Kansas after coming out of high school so highly touted and and honestly, he ended up being a first-round pick. But when he before he went to Kansas, he was expected to be a one-and-done, play his first year in college, and then go straight to the NBA as a top lottery pick. And that didn't happen, that adversity. And that's something we touched on in previous episodes. That actually we questioned whether that would help him in terms of being attractive to more NBA teams. The way Calvin Sampson just described it, not only do I feel that helped Quentin, but considering if he had, he just been one and done 
I feel like Quentin is much more prepared to handle adversity, which will help him, especially in the NBA. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think it not only helped him and helped prepare him when he faced adversity, but also it helped him develop as a basketball player. I think he's become more fine-tuned, his jump shot even more. He's able to create off the dribble, compete defensively. And so I, I think Coach Simpson was right on. He needed Houston, and Houston needed him. Houston benefited from having a caliber, a talent like him on the floor. But it was a, it was definitely a maturation process. Um, Coach Simpson, Coach Keller Simpson talked about um, Quinn's confidence when it changed, and he said it was slasher after that Memphis game. And I heard him talk about at one point where. Kids with that notoriety normally have a certain swag or a certain confidence about themselves. You know, I always see that with Quinn. So, they always show, they show flashes, but to see him put it all together last season, it was a sight to see, man. I think he definitely – he's going to go into the NBA with more confidence now in himself. And it was good that I think he had a – was coached by Kelvin Sampson, who they say coaches really hard. Then he's going to go with Tom Timberdo, who's – they also say coaches really hard. So I think it's a win-win situation for them. Right. And, you know, going back to Quinn Grimes, he also spoke to reporters on Friday. And one of the quotes that he told media in New York or his introductory press conference, he called it a match made in heaven with Tom Thibodeau, which it's interesting. Like you mentioned, the reputation Thibodeau has for how hard he coaches his teams, not just rookies, but everyone in general coming off, the structure that he comes uh, from the University of Houston program, like you said, I think this will help him tremendously. And, and that adversity, I mean, it, it, you got it's got to be someone that's mentally strong. They got to be strong in terms of mental fortitude. He, Kelvin Sampson also mentioned how big Quantus White was to that. I wouldn't say recovery, but just that development too. I mean, Quentin Grimes mm-hmm. always had the offensive skill set. He could always score. When he came to the University of Houston, a couple of things that Calvin Sampson said in that press conference on Friday was they had to work on his mental side just in terms of yep. building up his confidence. Sometimes it would seem like he, he he would get shaken up easily. That's something we could see throughout the season. You know, he would have really good games, sometimes followed up by either bad performances in the next games or even just in the same possessions after he does a good scores basket, might have a turnover. I think he mentioned the game against South Carolina back in the 2019-20 season where he did good. He had 24 points, but he also had seven turnovers and just how that grew. And, and Dayon, you asked Kelvin Sampson when he felt that that switch, kind of switch for Quentin in terms of he figured it out. And Kelvin Sampson told you it was at the very last game of the regular season in the 2019-20 year against Memphis where Houston – kind of struggled throughout the game. It was a neck-and-neck game. I remember towards the end of the second half, Quentin Grimes probably went on a run. I think he might have scored like 15 or 13 points straight for the University of Houston, and he helped U of H build a double-digit lead. And that's when Kelvin Sampson said the switch flipped and Quentin Grimes honestly never looked back. Yep, and you can see it. You can see it. And another thing that Coach Kelvin Sampson said in that soundbite was that he he talked about how Quentin is a, a doer, how he wants to please everyone. And someone who, who's been told since they're in high school they're the best player. He was Gatorade National Player of the Year at State of Texas, a five-star recruit. He looked up as a one and done. So 
when you constantly hear all these good things, and he said from his time around Quinn that Quinn doesn't want to let people down. So it seems like throughout his game, you can kind of see that when he would miss a shot, and Coach Kevin Sampson said he would miss one or two shots, and he would look to the bench like, please don't take me out. And then after that flip switch, like you mentioned that he said, he said he would miss one or two shots, and he would be like, hey, you better not take me out. And he would take those next two or three shots with confidence. He would make them. And so I think it's a really good for Quinn, man. I'm I'm excited to see his journey. Yeah, and I think the best game to – that kind of showed that was – okay, now I'm kind of blanking. I I believe it was in that Rutgers game during the second round of the NCAA tournament where he had two free throws. He missed, missed both of them. He missed both of them, and then U of H got the offensive rebound. The ball found his way back into Grimes' hands, and he shot the three, no hesitation, and he buried it. And it was against that Rutgers game that helped U of H, obviously, during that absurd comeback against Rutgers. But, I mean, he did it time and time again. again apparently, he loves to play against Memphis because during – the regular season, not during the conference tournament, it was the same thing where it was a close game. Juvich was kind of struggling to find offense and Quentin Grimes was their go-to player. And that's another thing that Kelvin Sampson touched on where, I mean, they, they started calling a big shot cue because late in the second half, whenever UH might be struggling on offense, it always seemed like it would be Quentin Grimes that would hit a big shot for them, whether it was when they, against Memphis in the conference tournament where they were struggling or against Rutgers when um, they, they pulled off that comeback or even against Oregon State when the Beavers ended up coming back in the second half and it, it turned into a kind of a slobber knocker type of game. Gwendon Grimes hit some clutch shots. He hit some t- clutch free throws to ice that game and sent him into the Final Four. So time and time again this past season, Gwendon Grimes showed not only his mental fortitude, which is something Calvin talked about, that's something that Qantas White, the U of H program, the staff worked on him to build that but then also that shows poise at the next level. And the New York Knicks, an interesting fit after the couple of moves that they've just made in free agency. They had yeah. Kimball Walker today. Uh, Wednesday they were recording this. Um, re-signed Derek Rose. They're bringing in Evan Fournier. So it looks like the Knicks are focusing a lot more on spacing so they can help, you know, Kimball Walker, Derek Rose, those type of players. They're kind of splashes. I feel like... Quinn Grimes is going to yep. feel right in uh, as something that Quinn Grimes has said and Kelvin Sampson said too. It looks like teams might kind of picture him to be a catch and shoot three and D type of guy when he first gets there. Something that Quentin himself has said, Kelvin Sampson said it too on Friday. They feel that Kelvin, that Quentin can do a lot more than just be a catch and shoot player, three and D player. But another thing, the final point we'll touch on Quentin, Kelvin Sampson said that the thing he feels like that Grimes is most ready for, he could play in their NBA game tomorrow and he'll be ready with this with his defense. That was a little bit surprising for me, not because of Quentin's defense is not great, but when you think about his offense and how good he is, his defense kind of, not only is it underrated, but it kind of gets lost a little bit down. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that's good because in the NBA defense is all about competing, that willingness to defend, that willingness to compete. And, and so at the next level, we, we, we talked about the coaches that he played for, Coach Kelvin Sampson. Now he's going to play for Tom Timothy. They preach competing, competing, competing in defense. And so I wasn't surprised when I heard that. I think he, he w- will be able to defend well. Just all about competing. And Knicks lost Reggie Bullock, who ended up signing with the Dallas Mavericks. So I think he'll be able to fill that role. 
He's a, a big body guard similar to that that can defend and can space the floor and that three and D type player. So I wasn't surprised. I really look forward to seeing him in a summer league and then seeing him eventually in the regular season. Defense, that's a perfect transition or segue to our final segment where we'll talk more about Dejan Giroux and a kind of a teaser. Kelvin Sampson talked about how the Miami Heat kind of similar to what he said about Quentin Grimes and how that was Tom Thibodeau's guy. Dejan Giroux for the Miami Heat, they were not only high on him, but they were really lasered in focused on taking Dejan and not to give too much away, but it seemed like Kelvin Sampson said that the Heat even wanted to buy a second round pick to draft Dejan in the second round. We'll talk more about Dejan Giroux. Give a couple of clips from Kelvin Sampson speaking on his leadership coming right up on Pod Slime Jamma, your home for University of Houston Athletics. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. You're listening to Pod Slammer Jammer. Welcome back, Dayan Dunlap, Indianez. And just continue our basketball talk, Coach Kelvin Sampson. He talked about Dejan Giroux and his maturation, not only as a basketball player, but primarily as a leader, how he's grown from year to year, strictly as a leader. Also, how the Miami Heat really liked him. So let's just get right into that clip. One of the things that Eric asked me last night to expound on, he said, can you expound on Dejan's leadership? Because I saw where you uh, – said something similar to what you just said. Um, and I said, you know, we've been blessed to have two great leaders since we've been here um, of the teams. Uh, Galen Robinson was a great leader, and so was Dejan. Uh, they, they did it their own way now. They, you know, leaders don't try to copy others. It's just natural. Uh, Galen didn't have to work at being a leader. First time I saw him play with Texas Pro and Marlon Lowe, um, 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 I said, that kid's going to be our captain one day. When I saw Nate, I said, that kid's going to be a captain one day. Um, I didn't say that about Deshaun when I first saw him. <laughs> but he evolved into that. Uh, Deshaun evolved. To, he, he learned how to be a teammate. He, he, learned, he learned how to be on time. He, he, you know, he, he learned how to function um, in a disciplined uh, organization. Um, but he always... And again, I go back to character. Dejan is, is a high character kid, just like Quentin. Now they're both raised different ways, uh, but, but Dejan uh, will always be one of my favorites. I mean, I love that kid, everything about him, but I love their stories. I, I love where they started and how, how we started with them and the growth they made. And then, you know, it's like a mother and father when they're, kid goes to college you know once they once they get in that car and they drive away or they get on that plane and they fly away you know things change um but you're but you're proud of them um Dejan's uh leadership uh there's a lot of followers in the NBA all those guys in the NBA trust me weren't leaders on their team you know but they it, it, it they'll they'll migrate to him they'll you know, they'll move toward Dejan because De- Dejan's confidence, 
uh, and his swagger. Um, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, infectious. That was University of Houston men's basketball head coach Kelvin Sampson speaking on Dejan's road leadership. Dejan, kind of similar to what he said about Quentin Grimes, um, you kind of see that growth from their, when they initially joined the program throughout their time here, now that they're out of it into the NBA, there's that growth there. With Quentin Grimes, it was with yeah, with Quentin Grimes, it was just about his poise, his mental fortitude, being more confident in himself. With Dejon Giroux, it was learning how to be a leader, being more of that. And this is throughout the season that they've said for Dejon, it was kind of more having to be more humble a little bit, kind of not being too um What's the word? He Dejan Giroux was an alpha male, and you could clearly tell that. But when it comes to a leader, he had to be more of getting people to follow him. And that's something he was able to build on, not only through being a leader, but also the adversity he had to overcome. We've mentioned it before in terms of his junior season, how much he struggled and he bounced back with a strong senior year. And that could only help. And like you mentioned, the Miami Heat loved it. Eric Spolster loved that storyline. And it wasn't even a storyline, just his journey. Right, right. He he talked about having with their exposure. But yeah, that's it. Two different contracts. We could tell Dejan Giroux never lacked confidence. That was never his issue. He always was ultra confident. But like Coach Kelvin Sampson said, he had to learn how how to lead and play with their structure. And so I, I think it bolded well for him when you could see it on the floor. His team, they followed him. His toughness. Just the things that he brought, not only skill-wise, but just playing through an injury. You hear the sound bite, the kind of revival, but him saying, I'm a savage. And just just that mindset, his willingness to play through injuries, just to compete, being the defensive player of the year, just all of that stuff bodes well into leadership and showing the practice on time, practicing hard. Just all the stuff Coach Keller Simpson talked about. And Dejan really just embodied that. Yeah, for sure. We talked more about his journey and how Dejan kind of grew i remember going back to that 2019 20 year there was a lot of adversity not just in terms of this play on the court but i'm going back to that game i believe it was against cincinnati where dejon had that bite incident um i mean stuff like that that showed where he was a mature i remember doing a story earlier in the season um this past year in 2020-21 and i believe going back to james i believe he spoke to galen robinson and they talked about the same thing when he first joined the uh program he wasn't – Dejan couldn't go to a group of players and have them follow him kind of – what's the old saying goes? Rally the troops and have them play for, for him and kind of be – how do I phrase Be motivated by him, if that's the right way to say it. And as that – that changed. That completely changed this past year. I mean, just look at the Rutgers game. Going back to that second-round game, I mean – he was kind of the identity for the team, not only this entire season, but in that game in particular, you see when he goes out, he gets injured. Honestly, when that happened, I remember he got, and I've said this so many times, when he got taken out by that pig, he went out, obviously he was injured with the hip pointer. I thought the season would have been over for UH then. And he came back in the game and after the game, Dejan said, regardless of what the outcome of that game would have been, he wanted, if the season was going to end, he wanted to be on the court and you could see the team kind of rally around that when he came back. And 
he hit big shots. He led the team. And that's where you really saw that growth, where his teammates could rally around him. And they truly saw him as leaders. One thing, uh, like Ron Huey said to us last week, is one thing where you you could anoint a certain player, a couple of players as team captains, but the team itself has to respond and kind of rally around that person. And you saw that with Dejan. Last right, time. it has to happen. It has to happen organically, and I feel like it did. And I, I felt like I saw it at the beginning of the year when T put his name in the draft. His junior year didn't get um, assuming the feedback that he wanted. Came back. You heard about that long meeting he had with Kelvin Sampson. I think it started then. I think I wasn't in practice. I didn't have a first hand see it, but just watching from the outside looking in. I just saw a difference in him on the floor, the way he talked, the way he responded to criticism during games from Kelvin Sampson, didn't slump his head and just didn't have bad body language. He embraced it. I think that boded well how he talked about guarding Tremont Mark in practice, just helping the younger players, just competing. And I think I think it started at the beginning of the year and just evolved throughout the season, and especially in that moment, like you mentioned, against Ruggers. Yeah, now talking more about his fit with Miami in particular, um, Kelvin Sampson said that uh, they think highly of him, not only uh, for the summer league team, but one thing that Kelvin Sampson said is that they would treat him like he's on the roster. Um, something to the lines of that with Kelvin Sampson said on Friday. So I'm, I'm interested to see not only how Dejan plays in the summer league, obviously the Heat are playing in, in the California Challenge or something with, with the Lakers, Warriors, and Kings in that summer league. But then, of course, the, the main one, the big one in Las Vegas, Dejan hasn't played for the Heat yet, but I'm curious once he does, not only how he plays, but like we've mentioned, does he kind of embrace, does he become kind of like a, a, a leader for that team? Can you see team, the spark, if that makes sense, can he ignite what he did, what we saw here at U of H? It'll be interesting just in terms of, how the summer league environment is where honestly everyone's trying to fight for that those final roster yeah. roster spots. Yeah, that's something I'll be watching. One thing I'll be watching if he can just be that floor general like he was in college, push, pushing the break. The NBA is uh, basically a pick and roll league. And that's what Kelvin Sampson said exposure in the mind he liked about him that he really plays well in the pick and roll. And so that's something I'm gonna keep my eye on. I think that leadership, but that kind of um, happens organically, like we just mentioned. But just strictly his play on the court, I'm going to keep my eye on and see if he can be able to get to the rim like he was able to in college. Mm-hmm. If he can knock down those spot of um, jump shots from and kind of space the floor and eventually and maybe make the team get a two-way contract. I, we don't, I haven't heard the, the details with his contract, but I can't wait to see it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the other things that Kelvin said that the Miami Heat really were high on with Dejan and something we touched on, just how he plays the pick and roll and how efficient he is not only at playmaking and finding the roller on the picks, but creating jump shots for everyone on the team. That's another thing that I'll be looking to uh, once he does get on the floor for the Heat in the summer league. I mean, Dejan, that's pretty much it for this episode. Is there anything... Do you want to focus on whether it be back uh, going back to football media day or talking about Grimes or Jerome? One thing, this is the fun thing I'll leave it at. Um, one thing Calvin Thompson did say about Justin Gorham, he said that he had offers to play for 
a couple of teams for the NBA Summer League. Calvin Sampson said he advised Justin Guam to go play overseas and secure that contract. So I found that interesting of note. Dayon, your thoughts on that and whatever you want to leave it on. Yeah, I found that interesting as well because in the previous episode, we both talked about like him potentially getting an opportunity in the summer league. And I, and I thought he would have had a good showing in the summer league. But like Kelvin Sampson said, that window to capitalize on a, a guaranteed contract is short. And so I'm, I'm, I am glad he's able to secure that. And we know players like different players throughout the entire NBA have different journeys. So I think he continued to develop. He, the NBA isn't going anywhere. So he potentially can come back and get a chance. But definitely enjoy this episode. Hope you guys will enjoy it as well. For sure. This is a really good one for our one-year anniversary. Be sure to follow us, if you haven't done so already, on Twitter at PodSlamajama. That's P-A-W-D, Slamajama, like you see it, wherever you're listening to your podcast. And that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to follow at Apollo HOU for blogs, merch, video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter as well. That's Dayan Dunlap and Andy Yanez. Yeah, for sure. Follow me on Twitter at Aonis underscore five. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you've listened since the beginning, can't thank you enough. If you've joined wherever you joined, we thank you. We appreciate you tuning in and checking us out. We hope we can grow. We, we've talked about it, Dayon. We have big plans to try to take this as far as we can. Space should put a, put a rocket on it and see how far we can go with Podstime Pajama. But that is going to do it. So once again, we look forward to having you back for our next episode of Pod Slime and Jamma covering your University of Houston Cougars.